We're in a series called The Five Gifts of Jesus. You know, my mom said to me, she's not in this service, so I can say whatever I want to about her, but uh, she said, there's not much application in this series. And I said, Mom, I'll try to put some application in there. But, you know, some sermon series are more about learning about the Bible and then more about application. So I'm going to give you some application, but it's, sometimes it's just fun to come to church and just learn about the Bible, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. So, Mom, okay, so here we go. Ephesians. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Ephesians 4, I'm going to do one on moms. Ephesians 4, 8 through 13, I got a great mom. I have an amazing mom, best mom ever. I got a good dad too. So when he ascended on high, he gave gifts to his people. His gifts were to the church. So Jesus appointed some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers to fully equip the saints for the work of the ministry to build up. Everybody say build up. Build up. The king's King James Version says to bring into unity. The King James Version says unity. Uh, build up the body of Christ, the church, until we all become a mature believer. I want you to see before we get to our main point today that uh, these gifts, they came out of Jesus. So when you meet somebody who's operating in one of these gifts correctly, it's like a piece of Jesus. It's a, you see, you know, Jesus was a prophet. He is a prophet, right? He was an evangelist. He was an apostle. He sent out apostles. Uh, he, he was a shepherd, the Bible says, which is the word for pastor. And he was a teacher. So point five for your notes today. Part number five is this, teacher. And we're going to study Jesus as a teacher. And here's why. Uh, Forty-eight times in the Gospels, it refers to Jesus as being a teacher. Jesus is, and I'm not saying this because I love him, and I'm not saying this because he's my savior, but he is the greatest teacher of all time. Uh, and he's such a great, he's better than Charles Stanley, he's better than T.D. Jakes. He's such a great teacher, and you might not realize this, but I'm going to show you why today. He's such a great teacher that atheists all over the world who may not believe what he says, they still believe that he was the greatest teacher of all time because of the way he taught. Because a good teacher isn't about everything they know, it's about do the students learn and can they communicate in a way where students learn. So he was the greatest teacher of all time, and I'll prove it to you in several ways today. Uh, he was so good that people followed him to deserted places where there was no food just to hear him teach. Now that's amazing. That means people followed him to Aner just to hear him teach a lesson. And you know, sometimes actually up to 20,000 people followed him where there was no food. 20,000 people at times. Now, I was doing some research. The population of Aner is like 1,000 or 1,100, so I can't use that. Population of Conway was 27,000. The population of North Myrtle Beach is 20,000. So I want you to picture every single resident in all of North Myrtle Beach leaving their houses and walking miles and miles and miles and miles away from any restaurant or any food just to hear a man teach. That's how good he was. Uh, Matthew 13, 54 says he began teaching people in their synagogue and they were amazed. Now, the Bible doesn't exaggerate. They were literally amazed at his teaching and his wisdom. Matthew 22, 33, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Have you ever heard somebody teach and you are simply amazed at how well you learn and what they're saying and how they open up your mind to things you would have never thought before? Have you ever experienced that? That's how they felt about Jesus. John 7, 32 and 45 says the chief priests and Pharisees, they sent guards to arrest Jesus. And when the guards came back, they said, no one ever spoke like this guy. We, we sent you to arrest him. You don't understand. We sent you to arrest him. Why are your clothes sopping wet? We got baptized. You've never heard anybody talk like this guy. We were amazed. We could not even believe the words coming out of his mouth. 
Now, I want you to understand that the fivefold ministry gift, the gift of teaching, is different than the motivational gift of teaching in Corinthians and, and forward in the New Testament. So we're really focusing on, and I'm teaching you about a Bible teacher today, a Bible teacher. The motivational gift of teaching in the rest of the New Testament is referring to any teacher, coaches, things like that, parents who teach children. So we're talking about the Bible teacher. So the greatest Bible teachers, and I want you to really understand this, the greatest Bible teachers are the teachers who love to be taught. They love to learn. They love, to, in other words, they don't form an opinion based on what they feel or think. They learn, they study, they research, they ask questions. It's all about learning. If you're going to be a good Bible teacher, you've got to continue learning the rest of your life. Luke 2.46, they found the Son of God. They found the Son of God in the temple courts sitting among teachers. The Son of God surrendered his will, his, his self to teachers, his mind to teachers. And here's what he did. He listened to them and he asked them questions. And people were amazed. They were amazed at the questions this boy asked. The greatest teachers are the ones that ask the most questions because they want to learn. They want to learn. So I have three points for you today, and they all have the letter C. Because C is for cookie, and that's good enough for me. So number one is this. Jesus challenged students. He challenged them. Now, let me tell you what my burden is today before I get into all this scripture. My burden today is that everyone in this room have a higher level of desire and passion to read the teachings of Jesus. That's my burden today. My burden today is to get you when you leave this place to have the mindset of, you know what, the answer can be found in the Word of God, and if I will just look and look and look, I will find the answer to my problems. Uh, it says in Proverbs 18, 15, wise men are eager to learn, they crave listening to knowledge. Proverbs 1, fools reject wisdom, complacency destroys them. There's something called destination disease. It's where we get to a certain age or a certain point in life and we put our mind in neutral and we stop growing and we stop thinking and we stop being mentally challenged. And I'm not going to try, I'm not intentionally offending anybody, but usually this happens in older people. The older you get, the more you're just kind of stuck in your ways and you don't want to learn or be challenged anymore. Um, the reason why is because when we were children, we were forced to go to school and we had parents and coaches and growing mentally was just a part of life. Well, now that we're an adult, we have to take responsibility for ourselves and our own mind and constantly put ourselves under teachers who will challenge us. Teachers who will get us to stop thinking that our way is right and there's not, not, not more to learn. There is more to learn. And that's why we have great teachers at this church, and that's why we always want to teach you on Sunday morning. Of course, Hosea 4, 6 is my people are destroyed because they have a lack of knowledge. And I find that in our church, and I know our church very, very well, in our church, most of the problems we face are not the devil. I find that a lot of people come to me, it's not the devil. In fact, it's not even really other people. The most of the problems I find in our family is that we just don't have enough knowledge of the Word of God to find the answer. And I'm going to show you many answers today that Jesus taught, but I really want you to leave this place believing that Jesus was the greatest teacher who ever existed, and his teachings can change your life if you'll simply read them and apply them to your life. So it's just simply a lack of knowledge many, many times. So there's three main things Jesus taught about. He taught about hell, money, and relationships. And you probably would not have wanted to go to his Sunday school class if every Sunday it was either hell, money, or relationships. He did it because he loves us. He wants us to have good relationships, hell because he wants to spend eternity with us, and money because he doesn't want something else stealing our heart. He wants our heart to be in the kingdom over and over and over again. Okay, so I'm going to read you some teachings of Jesus all throughout this sermon today, and I want to know if you really, really believe it or if you just think, oh, that sounds good, and it's okay, but I don't really, you know, it's not really a part of me. Matthew 7, 13, Jesus said this, wide is the gate that leads to hell, and many go through that gate, but narrow is the gate that leads to heaven, and few find it. 
And here's why this teaching blew everybody's mind, because Jesus just said there's more people in hell than in heaven. What, what is more, many or few? Well, many's more, right? He just said every day when people die, more people go to hell than heaven. Now, it's hard for us to believe that because every funeral we attend, we think everybody's in a better place. Guess what? They're not all in a better place. Every Hollywood star or someone, some famous person that you really, you think, oh, I'll see them one day in heaven. Most likely not. There's a greater chance, biblically, to see just this one, I can already feel a little bit of resistance. Just in the very first scripture I read of Jesus, you're like, I don't know about that, you know. My granddaddy, he was a good guy. He didn't really believe in Jesus, but he was a good man. He's in hell. I'm so sorry, but that's what, the, if you do not have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he's the only way to heaven. Let's look, I'll go ahead and leave this scripture alone. Okay, already off to a rough start, aren't we? Let's talk about money. Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said this, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. You want to know where your heart's at? Look at your money. He said, you can't serve two masters. And everybody thought, two ma you're right, I can't serve two masters. I can't be here and here at the same time. And he said in verse 24, you can't serve God and money. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus said you ought to tithe. People still argue tithing, even though Jesus, the Son of God, said you ought to do it. Blows my mind. Okay, let's go to relationships. Matthew 5, 23. If you're offering your gift at the altar, if you're here in church and you're singing a song, playing an instrument, teaching Sunday school, praying for somebody at the altar, passing out communion, being an usher or a greeter, if, if you're doing something at church, if you're giving a gift at church, and you remember that somebody has something against you and you haven't apologized for it, and you haven't done your part to make peace, you need to leave that gift first. Go make peace. Then you can come back and offer your gift. And we read this and we think, I'll get to it some other time. Jesus literally just said, leave church. Go out there on your cell phone, send them a text. I'm sorry for what I did to you. I don't know if you forgive me or not, but I'm sorry. Please accept my forgiveness and then you can come offer your gift. Don't even put your money in the box. And we would love to have your money in the box. So this, you got to believe this is true. Don't even put your money in the box if somebody has something to get you you haven't apologized. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. Um, there was a problem in, in the Bible days, mainly with the Sadducees and a lot of the rabbis, but uh, Jesus kind of had to correct them because a lot of the rabbis were scared to preach or teach because there was a rule, you cannot say anything that contradicted what another rabbi taught. So it was very iffy on what they would say. If I was to modernize that, it would be like a preacher being scared to preach the truth or a teacher being scared to show you exactly what the Bible says. Titus 2.8 says, teach the truth so your teaching cannot be criticized. The point of that is this, all Bible teachers should show you what's in the Bible because that's the truth. If they come to you for help, if they come to you for knowledge, they go, How, what do I do in this? You better show them the Bible because everything else is not truth. The way you feel isn't truth, the way you think isn't truth. Only the Bible has ultimate truth. Um, the word theology is, means the study of God. That's what a lot of Bible teachers do, they, the theology. Theo, Theo, is Bible, uh, Theo is God, ology is the study of, right? You probably studied sociology, biology, zoology, whatever you study. Theology is the study of God. Here's the problem with a lot of uh, Bible teachers is this. Instead of the study of God, they study what somebody studied about the study of God. And there's nothing wrong with books, and Christian books are great. I wrote a Christian book. There's nothing wrong with commentaries. But when somebody comes to me as a Bible teacher, I better tell you, here's what Jesus said, whether you like it or not. Whether it feels good or not, here's what the Bible says. And here's why. Uh, because it says in, uh, let's see, James 3.1, not many should become teachers, for those who teach will be judged 
more strictly. Now, it's funny, out of the fivefold, the teachers judged more strictly. Now, real quick, by the way, I was just going to say, we need some more Bible teachers. And does anybody want to volunteer to... Here's why, so the pastor shepherds, protects, does his best. The evangelist tells you a story, leads you to Jesus. The prophet encourages you as you go along. The apostle sends out for visions. The teacher is responsible for the word of God and always the word of God. They'll be judged more strictly. I want to show you a, a text message that was sent to one of our teachers uh, here in church. And this, someone sent our teacher this text message, and then they sent it to me. And it just, it, it kind of explains the goal of Bible teachers. Watch this. It says this. It says, uh, we talk about the word of God giving us nourishment, and that it does. But you, my friend, and this wasn't written to me. This is written to one of our teachers here in church. You, my friend, you prepare the word like a gourmet chef served exquisitely for us to feast upon, having leftovers to enjoy later. That's a good Bible teacher. Somebody that shows you what the Word says and you leave with the Word in your mind and you leave wanting to study the Word. That's a good Bible teacher. And it says not many of you should be Bible teachers because a lot of people, they want to tell you how you, how you should feel. I know how you feel. I'm so sorry. What does the Bible say? Isn't that the reason we come to church and we have teachers and leaders in our life? What does the Bible say? Uh, 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5. This is the, uh, talking about false teachers. False teachers. It says, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus. So there's the first thing. False teachers, they don't want to show you what Jesus said. They want to tell you what they think. They are conceited because they want you to hear them. and They want to feel so wise. And I'm so glad you're coming to me for help. What does the Bible say? They have unhealthy interest in controversies that result in strife, mal malicious talk, and constant friction between people. And Ephesians 4.13 says a godly teacher brings people in unity. So, Jesus, greatest teacher of all, okay? I'm going to read you another teaching, and I hope that it blows your mind. Because when people heard this, they were astonished, okay? Matthew 7, 2 through 5, Jesus said this, <clears throat> With the same measure you judge and criticize others... <clears throat> You will be judged and criticized. Let's just start with that, okay? The Son of God made a promise. And when he speaks, no man can tell it. It will always happen. The exact same measure you judge and criticize is the exact same measure you will be judged and criticized. Now, that should stop us right there. It should be, okay, we're done. No, no, no. He went on, and he did a really good job, too. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye but don't notice the log in your own eye. So I want to show you how, how ignorant that would be for somebody. For me to come up to you and say, hey man, I got a problem with you. I've been looking at you and I see something small in your eye that I need to talk to you about. How foolish is that? And you got a speck in your eye. Then he says this, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. Let me show you how brilliant this teaching is. Brilliant. There's three perspectives in this one scripture. Three perspectives, okay? So, me. Who do I think has the log in their eye? I think you do. Who do I think has the speck? Okay, that's my perspective. But the Bible wasn't just written to me, it was written to you. So who do you think has the log in their eye? You think I got the log. And who do you think has the speck? You think you got the speck. There's your perspective. Who wrote this? Jesus wrote this. Who does he say has the log? Both of us got the log, and nobody's got a speck in their eye. Do you see how brilliant that is? You know what he said to do? He said, when you feel like judging and criticizing somebody, don't even start with your perspective. 
you end with your perspective. He said you start looking at it through their perspective. And then if you still got a problem with them, then you look at it through my perspective, the heavenly perspective. And then if you still got a problem, which you probably won't, then you can go at it from your perspective. That one scripture should change our life forever. I want to give you a, a quick example just so you can understand it, okay? <clears throat> what do y'all see? What, what number do you see? I don't see four. How can y'all? We're looking at the same thing. We're looking at the same thing. I see two. What's wrong with you? How can you see four? I see two. The only way I can ever deal with things properly with me and you is if I stop looking at it from my perspective and I go around where you're at and I look at it. Now I see four. After I do that, then what do I got to do? I got to look at it from God's perspective. God sees a one. And if I still got a problem, which I probably won't after that, if I still got a problem with you, then I can come around here and say, okay, there's a little bit of sawdust I want to deal with because I see it too. Do, do you understand? A, a great Bible teacher will always get you to see things from a heavenly perspective and another perspective that you've never even thought of. Uh, for instance, let me just go over some Roman numerals with you because I know y'all are smart, right? So let me teach you some math problems here. What is an I in Roman numerals? What does that equal? I equals? A V equals? And an X equals? Okay, let's see if it starts getting quieter as we go along. We'll see how good we are, okay? An I-I-I equals? A X-V-I-I equals? And an I-V equals? I see it took the people at the back a little bit longer. Usually the people in the back, that's how it usually works. Okay, okay let's do another one. Here we go, put it on the screen. XXVIII equals? Y'all are football fans, aren't you? Who said 26? Please tell me it wasn't one of our teachers from Faith First Academy. All right, let's put another one on the screen. IX, what does that equal? What if I want this to equal 6? What, what letter do I need to add? I need to add an S, because S-I-X equals... That's the point for the girls' team. It's, it's 1 to 55. Okay, so here's what I did. I just got you to look at things through a different way. That's all a godly teacher does. I know you think your way is right. I know you see what you see, but I need to show you there's another way to look at things. Are you with me? Okay, point number two is this. Jesus taught common sense. He taught common sense. <clears throat> um, he wasn't super spiritual. You know, when you see someone teaching and you don't even understand half the stuff they say, uh, Jesus never made up weird Christian lingo like uh, live life with people or missional communities or some weird stuff you hear nowadays. He just taught common sense. In fact, you know, I learned how to preach from Jesus because nobody taught me. I didn't know what to do. I watched everybody on TV and everybody preached differently. And I thought, well, Jesus told stories and he made things easy to understand. And sometimes teachers want to make things hard to understand so it shows how smart they are. <clears throat> no, a good teacher makes things easy to understand. Do you know 90% of Jesus' sermons were under 30 minutes long? They were short, to the point, and they were common sense. The Pharisees taught rules. Jesus Christ taught all about relationship. The Pharisees, this is right, this is wrong. Right, wrong, right, wrong. You're doing wrong, you need to do right. Doing wrong, you need to do right. Jesus taught all about, hey, if you want to have good relationships with people, listen to me. Matthew 7, 12. Do unto others what you would want them to do unto you. 
That right there should be our golden rule for life. Let me, let me, add, let me just let me say it in a different way. Um, treat others the way you want to be treated. Give to others the way you want people to give to you. Forgive others the way you want people to forgive you. Talk about others the way you want people to talk about you. Help others the way you want people to help you. Is this making any sense to you? When he said this, people were amazed. They, did, they, did, they had never thought of that before. We in America, we don't even think of this. We don't think of this. Let me how brilliant he was. The prodigal son in Luke 15. He told a whole story about a father and son and finally got to the point where, hey, if there's someone out living in sin, treat them like they're your child. And everybody thought, well, if it were my child, I would beg them to come home. I'd call them and say, I love you and I'll do whatever it takes for you to come back. How can I help you? I want you to be okay. I don't like that you're out there and you're lost. That's how we treat it if it were our child. But when it's somebody else's child, we're like, yeah, you got problems. Can you believe what they did? Can you believe if it were your child? Do you know how much love and forgiveness and begging and pleading? I'll do anything. I'll leave work. I'll, I'll, I'll close out my bank account. I'll do whatever it takes. Let me come pick you up out of the pig pen. Let me bring you home. If there's ever a time you're going to take a nap during today's sermon, you can do it right now because I don't know if you'll like this, but I, I really love this. And I know my friend Tom Winslow, he's a famous law. He'll love this, okay? So Jesus taught inductive reasoning and deductive reasoning. And, and this is why atheists even believe that he was one of the most brilliant teachers ever. Depending on who he was teaching, depended on whether or not he taught deductively or inductively. So deductive comes from the word deduce. And it's where I share facts with you so you can deduce a conclusion and come to the truth. When Jesus used deductive reasoning, he used it on sinners who wanted the truth because they were ignorant. Everybody say ignorant. ignorant. Remember that word. When he used inductive reasoning, he used that on the Pharisees. And inductive reasoning is where I first have to tear down what you think and show you how illogical your thinking is and show you how your emotions are in the way and show you how you've been hearing this from your parents and their parents and it's wrong. And once I show you how stupid your thinking is, then I can come in with the truth to help you see it clearly. And he did that with the religious people because they were so rebellious, not ignorant, they were so rebellious they thought they knew everything and no one could tell them any different. And you might not know this, but I actually use this on y'all, depending on our topic. Every time I speak to you, if it's something that I feel like is a stronghold in our family, then I'll use, I'll use inductive reasoning, and I'll tear down everything you think and show you how illogical it is, or I'll tell you a funny story or do something for you to see how your thinking was not correct, and then I'll bring in the truth afterwards. So the question is today, when you read the teachings of Jesus, are you a Pharisee or are you an ignorant sinner who just wants the truth? Because if you're a Pharisee and you think your way's right and you read something and you have an excuse for why you don't believe it or why you don't think it or why you don't live it and all that stuff, you're a Pharisee and you're rebellious. And at some point, the Holy Spirit's going to have to show you how stupid you are, how illogical your thinking is, and how if you keep doing what you want to do, it's going to go the wrong way and then come in and show you truth. But if you're a sinner who's just ignorant and just saying, I just want to know the truth, then he can talk to you and just present the truth and you can come to your conclusion yourself. Do you see the difference? So let's see. I'm going to read a scripture and you tell me if you're a Pharisee or an ignorant sinner. Okay? I mean, don't really tell me. I'm being very facetious with that, but you can tell me later. Matthew 5, 23 said this. You heard it said, do not commit adultery. 
Now, the word but in the Greek translates to the word and 50% of the time. So Jesus is not um, contradicting the, the Old Testament or the, or the um, Ten Commandments. He's adding to it. Okay? He said, you heard it said, don't commit adultery. And I thought, yes, that's correct. I say, everyone who looks at a woman in lust has already committed adultery. Jesus just put looking and doing at the exact same level. Now, do we really believe it? If so, then why in the world do we shop at 501 Walmart? If we really believe this. I'm just kidding. Somebody wrote me, I work at 501 Walmart. You need Jesus. Um... Do we really, he put on the exact same level, exact same level. And the Pharisees didn't believe it. And Jesus kept telling them, your heart, your heart, your heart, your heart. They didn't believe it. You're like whitewashed graves. You look pretty, you clean the outside of the teacup, the inside's dirty. Over and over, they didn't get it. He kept trying to tear down their illogical argument and then finally present them with truth. They just wouldn't listen. Matthew 18, 15, if a fellow believer sins against you, go to him, go to him privately if he listens you've won back your brother okay listen if you believe this every single person who sinned against you and you still have a little bit of unforgiveness and you still there's not things you go to that person to, to that person privately and you win back not fight you win back our relationship has been uh, severed there's a wedge between us you did me wrong. I'm not here to point out all your wrongs. I'm here to point out that I'm hurt, and I want us to be brothers again. I want us to have a relationship again. Do we really believe this? No, because we go to ten other people first. He said, go to the person. Do one of those if you want them to do unto you. Go to the person privately and deal with it one-on-one. -on -one. This is why every time one of you comes to me, and you probably 20 of y'all, 50 of y'all can attest to this, you come to me and say, you know what, so-and-so did something. I heard they said this about me. Or so-and-so looked at me the wrong way. Or so-and-so, whatever. And I'll say, you need to go to so-and-so. Don't come to me. Well, you're my pastor. And your pastor said you go straight to the person and you deal with it privately one-on-one. -on -one. If they don't listen and there's not a, 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 a peace, then you can bring somebody with you, the Scripture says. And again, the goal is peace and relationship restoration. It's in the Bible. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. You're not going to heaven without Jesus. I don't care what you think or what your past is or what you were taught. It's the truth. Now, let me show you why this is common sense. The truth is always a narrow road. Common sense. What color is this carpet up here? Now, do you know how many colors there are in a Crayola box? Every one of those colors is wrong unless it's black. Because the carpet up here on stage is black. Truth, by definition, is a narrow road. That's just common sense. What's four plus four? Do you know how many other numbers there are out there? And every one of those numbers are wrong. Because truth, by definition, is a narrow road. Four plus four is eight. It'll only be eight. It'll always be eight. In every country in the world, it's eight. Okay? The only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And, 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 and truth, by definition... There's not two ways, there's not three ways, there's not 3,000 ways. There's one way to get to heaven, it is through Jesus. And if you don't know him personally and you die today, you will go in hell no matter how good of a person you think you were. You were not good enough to get to heaven. It's in, I know that, that y'all, I'm going to have to write down a note. It would be much easier on the second service because first service doesn't like me. There was this husband, he told his wife one day, he woke up, he said, Honey, I think I'm dead. And she said, um, 
baby, you're talking to me. You're not dead. He said, no, I think I'm dead. He said, there's something wrong with you. No, I think I'm dead. So she took him to a counselor, and they worked on him and worked on him, and, and they couldn't get him to, to understand. He said, I'm still dead. So she took him to some professors, and they gave him some audio lectures, some, some books and stuff. And, and he, he, he still, after months of that, he said, I, I'm still, I think I'm dead. She finally took him to a doctor one day, and the doctor said to him, he said, you know that only uh, living people can bleed. And the man said, well, I don't know if that's really true or not. And so the doctor gave him a bunch of charts and graphs and Googled some things and showed him all, all kinds of things. Finally, the man said, okay, you know what? I believe you that uh, living people bleed. At that point, the doctor took out a needle, shoved it in his arm and pulled it out, and blood started coming out. The man looked at his wife and the doctor said, holy moly, I guess dead people bleed too. <laughs> some people do not want the truth no matter how well you teach it or how well you give it to them. They don't want to know the truth. They love their opinion. They're full of pride. And they'll stick to that until the Holy Spirit pricks their heart and reveals it to them. All we can do is share the truth from the Word of God. That's all we can do. Uh, point number three is this. Jesus taught cinematically. He taught cinematically. This is where I learned how to preach. Matthew 13, 34. Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables. He did not say anything to them without using illustrations he's so brilliant listen he realized he created us we're in his image we don't think in sentences we think in pictures that's what a movie is that's what a comic book is that's that's what a television show is it's just thinking in pictures that's how we think that's how we think um, Jesus told stories uh, based on the culture they were in Right? He know, Jesus knows what jets are and planes and cars. And if he were here today, he would use those things. But he taught them based on their culture. For instance, uh, just, just for fun, just for fun, I want everybody to just close your eyes. Just close your eyes. Just, I'm not going to squirt you with the water gun. Just close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. Okay, just 30 seconds. Close your eyes. I want everybody to visualize a camel. And you're walking a camel. You've got a you know, rope around him, and you're walking him through the desert. Everybody see yourself walking a camel? Okay, one hump or two humps, whatever your religious preference is, I don't care. So you're walking this camel, and then you come across a little old lady in a rocking chair who's sewing a, a button onto a shirt. Can you see her? Okay, now I want you to ask her if you can use her needle for a minute. So grab her needle, and then I want you to shove your camel through the eye of that needle. Okay, now wake up. What's the first word that came to your mind whenever you thought that? It's impossible. Is it? The Bible word is, it's impossible. Jesus said that's exactly what it's like for a rich person to go to heaven. They just can't do it on their own. But what's impossible for men is very much possible for God. And he basically just told us in that parable too, that out of every country on earth, there's going to be less Americans in heaven. Because we're the richest ones on the planet. We're the ones that trust in money and, and wealth and things more than anybody else. He said it's harder for a rich person. It's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Matthew 18, 23 through 35. If Jesus were preaching today, he would have said this. He would have said, um, there's this guy who worked for Burris and Chapin. And they gave him a million dollars to go do some project out here in Myrtle Beach. And after a few months, the guy goes back to the head people at Burris and Chapin and says, I'm sorry, I lost every drop of that money. They said, what do you mean you lost it? He said, I know you gave me a million dollars. You let me borrow a million dollars, and it's all gone. It's completely gone. 
And they had the right to throw him in jail. They had the right to sell his wife and his children into slavery. They had the right to take his house, his car, his boat, and all the stuff. And they looked at the man and they said, you know what? We're going to forgive you. We're going to forgive you this million-dollar debt. And the man was so grateful. He said, thank you so much. I'm so sorry. He said, it's okay. We know you're sorry. We're going to forgive you this million-dollar debt. And then the guy leaves, all happy and excited, and he calls up one of his partners, one of these this guys that was working for him, and this guy owed him $100. And he finds the guy that owes him $100, and he chokes him half to death, and he keys his car, and he takes his wallet, he takes his $100, and then he throws it on the ground, and he leaves and walks away. And the people at Burris and Chapin found out and they called the guy and they said, listen, we forgave a million dollar debt for you and you leave out here and you choke and beat up and hurt a man who owes you a hundred dollars? And they turned him over to torturers in prison. They let people torture him. And, and biblically that word torture there is referring to demonic activity. So God will turn you over to demons if that's what it takes for you to get the unforgiveness out of your heart. And he says in verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat you if you do not forgive from your heart all offenses you've had a million debts forgiven and you can't forgive one debt somebody else owes you and Luke 10 29 through 37 Jesus would tell this story he'd say listen there was a woman driving out here in the bypass on the side of the road and um, and she's, she's by herself and she gets a flat tire and she pulls over on the side of the road and to change her tire and these three guys get out of a car behind they pull over and she thinks oh they're here to help me and these three guys basically beat her up and, and they take her wallet they change the tire and they take her car they steal her cell phone and they leave her on the side of the road all bloodied and bruised and uh, Jesus said well don't worry because there was a religious guy it was the Archbishop of the Catholic Church of South Carolina was driving by uh, in his limousine and the limo driver says hey you're you're Royalty? I don't know. Your Highness? I don't know whether. Hey, sir, uh, there's a lady on the side of the road, and she's bleeding, and she's, on the, she's laying there on the ground. Should we call somebody to help? And the archbishop says, no, no, I have some meetings i got to get to. I don't have time to help her. Somebody else will call. And then Jesus said, well, don't worry, because the second guy was a pastor. Uh, a good-looking, uh, handsome pastor in Myrtle Beach, very wise. And uh, his, his name is Jamie Barfield. Uh, he's a pastor of... I'm at a point, Church of God, and he was driving by, and he saw the lady, and his buddy said, hey, pastor, we need to, we need to call somebody for her, and the pastor, listen, I got to go to my life group and teach a sermon on compassion. I don't have time to deal with her. You know, the first two people Jesus used were religious people, religious leaders, and then he said that the third person was this young lady who was leaving her second shift of work. She did a double shift. She has to get home to pay her babysitter so she can tuck her kids in bed before they go to sleep. But she sees the lady on the side of the road and she pulls over and she calls an ambulance. The ambulance gets there and they say, ma'am, who is this person? She said, I don't know. She has no identification. She's barely breathing. And they said, well, we can't take her. We don't, you know, we don't know who she is. And the lady said, you know what? Here's my credit card. Put her in your ambulance. Go take care of her. And if she doesn't have the means to pay, I'll pay it for her. And Jesus looked at everybody and said, which one is the good neighbor? And just like that, the religious people went out of their mind to the woman that took time to take care of somebody else. Because it's all about relationships. It's all about people. We have a book of the greatest teachings ever given. And all we got to do is open it up and read it. Um, I'll close with this. It's a story about a, a fifth grade teacher several years ago, back in the 80s. She stood in front of her fifth grade class on the first day of school 
And Miss Thompson told her children a lie. She told her students that she loved all of them the same. But that was not true. No, there was a, a young man named Teddy on the front row, slumped in his seat, Teddy Stoddard. Miss Thompson watched Teddy the year before and noticed he didn't play well with other kids. He was always dirty, always wore messy clothes. He was unpleasant at times. It got to the point where Miss Thompson took great delight in marking his papers with a big fat F on top. Miss Thompson was required a little around Thanksgiving time to review each child's past records and then add to it. She put Teddy's off till last. When she finally realized uh, that he was there and his file was there, she opened it up, started to review it. His first grade teacher wrote, Teddy is a bright child who loves to laugh. He does his work neatly and has good manners. He's a joy to be around. She thought that was unusual. His second grade teacher wrote, Teddy's an excellent student, well liked by his classmates, but he's been upset because his mother has a terminal illness and life at home is a struggle right now. Third grade teacher, his mother's death has been hard on him. He tries to do his best, but his father doesn't show much interest. His home life will soon affect him if steps aren't taken immediately. Teddy's fourth grade teacher wrote, Teddy is withdrawn doesn't show much interest in school. He has no friends, and sometimes he sleeps in class. By now, Miss Thompson realized the problem, and she was very much ashamed of herself. A few weeks later for Christmas, the students brought her presents wrapped in beautiful ribbons and bright paper, except for Teddy's. His present was clumsily wrapped in heavy brown paper that he got from a grocery bag. Miss Thompson was afraid to open it in the middle of all the other students. Some of the students, they started laughing when she found a rhinestone bracelet with some of the stones missing and a perfume bottle that was one-fourth full. The children's laughter ceased when Miss Thompson explained how pretty the bracelet was while she was putting it on and then spraying some of the perfume on her wrist. Teddy stayed after school that day just long enough to say, Miss Thompson, today you smell just like my mom used to and her bracelet looks so pretty on you. After the children left, she sat there and cried for at least an hour. On this very day, Miss Thompson quit teaching subjects, and instead she began to teach students and children. Miss Thompson began to pay close attention to Teddy, and she worked with him every single day. As time went on, his mind seemed to come alive. The more she encouraged him, the faster he responded. By the end of the year, Teddy had become one of the smartest children in her class, and despite her lie, he had become one of her favorites. A year later, she found a note under the door from Teddy telling her that she was the best teacher he had ever had in his whole life. Six years passed by, and to her surprise, another note came from Teddy. He wrote that he had finished high school third in his class, and she was still the best teacher he had ever had in his whole life. Four years later, another letter came saying that while things had been tough at times, he stayed in school, he stuck with it, and that he had graduated from college with the highest of honors. He assured Miss Thompson that she was still the very best teacher he had ever had in his whole life. Four more years passed by, another letter came. This time he explained that after he got his bachelor's degree, he decided to go a little bit further, again assuring Miss Thompson she was still the best teacher he ever had and the letter was signed, Theodore F. Stoddard, M.D. The story doesn't end there. There was one final letter that spring. 
Teddy said that he met a girl. He was going to get married. He explained his father died a few years ago, and he was wondering if Miss Thompson might agree to sit in place at his wedding. It was usually reserved for the mother of the groom. Of course, Miss Thompson did. She wore the bracelet, the one with the rhinestones missing, as well as the perfume that Teddy gave her. After the wedding, they hugged each other as Dr. Teddy Stoddard whispered in Miss Thompson's ear, thank you so much for making me feel important and teaching me that I could make a difference. Miss Thompson, with tears in her eyes, whispered back, Teddy, you have it all wrong. You were the one who taught me that I could make a difference. I didn't know how to teach until I met you. Romans 12, 7 says, if your gift is teaching, then teach. Teach truth. Challenge your students. Teach the word. You can never go wrong when you open up your Bible and show them this is what Jesus said to do. It'll always answer your problems. Amen. I'm going to ask our teachers if they would come front. Kristen, Emma, Victoria, Sandy, Bill, Carrie, Mary Heflin, Pam Kidder, DJ, Olga, if you come up front, Julie Mahoney as well. Y'all can stand here and y'all can face that way. All the teachers that are in this service and we will get more next service. Come on, Julie. Okay. These are some of our teachers for Faith First Academy this coming year. And Kristen Fazio, she's going to head it up and lead them, and we're going to do great. Okay, let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, thank you so much for godly teachers. Lord, thank you so much for teachers that care about students. Lord, thank you so much for teachers that share the truth. Lord, I ask that you empower them with great patience, with understanding, with the desire to not just reach their head, but to reach the heart of every child in their classroom. Lord, when times get tough and they feel like pulling out their hair, Lord, I ask that you just give them this supernatural peace on the inside, reminding them that they're making a difference. Lord, I thank you for their willingness to teach and to work for the salary that we've been able to provide, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you're going to use them to do great things. I thank you they're going to make a difference in every child's life. Lord, I thank you for their humility their willingness to always learn, always grow, and always seek you. Lord, I thank you for their passion, their passion to help kids understand. Lord, their passion to reveal the truth from your word. God, I thank you for their homes, their relationships. Bless them. Bring peace in their home. Lord, when they leave school, Lord, let them know they're going to a place where there's going to be comfort. There's going to be encouragement. There's going to be affirmation. There's going to be peace in their homes. Let them be refired, re-energized every weekend when they come back to school on Monday. God, I thank you so much for sending the right teachers at the right time to the right school. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. let's all stand to our feet.